squeeze it there. Broadhurst down, Bound still pumping punches into it. That's a big Oh, it is a miracle! The play continues. They could sidestep on a trip and win this line. Good one. A smack their bottoms. 40-20. It's a 40-20. It's there. Hits the crossbar. You won't see anything like that again this year. And maybe never. Digging up dead football. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. It does not get any better than that. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery, and it is a pleasure to have you with us. And we are going back a good long way in time today, my very good friends, to the 7th of August, 1988, round 21 of the New South Wales Rugby League Premiership in that very fine year. And we are looking today at Balmain 16, Penrith 14 from round 21, 1988, played in front of 12,450 fortunate souls at Leichhardt Oval. Uh, a match which has developed a kind of cult following in uh, amongst people of a certain vintage, a match that's rem- remembered very fondly uh, by Balmain types in particular, and, and but also by a hell of a lot of uh, real rugby league buffs from that time. Uh, we're going to get into the weeds of it today and talk a little bit about uh, the match, some of the great players who featured in it, Balmain's run to the 88 grand final, Penrith's history, and of course, no discussion of 1988 is complete without a good deal of talk about the great Ellery Hanley. Uh, Gazzy, uh, thank you for making the time to join us in amongst your other media commitments. It's been a big week for you, of course. Uh, your your status in the game as a as a Jersey influencer uh, and as Australia's foremost uh, spokesperson for rugby league fashion grows all the more. You've now been featured in the Daily Mail, so I appreciate you making the time to be here with the Rugby League Cemetery. No, it's a pleasure. Look, with the salary that's on offer, I was obviously happy to make the time. The appearance yeah. fee well, well worth my while. I'm um, worried. I'm, I'm slightly concerned I'm going to end up in a bidding war. Yeah, with um, the Daily Mail. Yeah. With the so, Daily Mail. I think that there's a big Two reputable to... media outlets. There's a bit of a worry and, that... There's yeah. A, yeah. There's a bit of a worry that the Daily Mail... Uh, that the, the, the Rugby League Cemetery may have to dig into its discretionary fund. Yes. Um, yes. So I, I'm talking to... Uh, I'm trying to assemble a war chest to keep you on board. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because your 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 status in the game grows by the week. Yes, well, well, that's right. Well, I was going to say I'm sort of one step away from just agitating for a spot to replace uh, Tracy Grimshaw on a current <laughs> affair. I think that's the natural next step. <laughs> Otherwise, that's, we're sort of right at the top of the peak of journalism. But that's the um, natural next step for all. Just just for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, can you just hit us with your uh, your, your your Instagram and, and TikTok uh, tags, please? Oh, Gaz's RL Jersey chat uh, on TikTok and uh, Gaz's RL Jerseys on Instagram. Yeah. Um, see me there for, obviously, I share the Jersey collection, but I've lately started doing a lot of Jersey reviews, jerseys in the spotted in the wild and uh, videos and, and, and other such things, sort of uh, just that sort of nonsense, basically, yeah. um, wasting everyone's time. For some yeah. reason, people seem to be watching it, yeah. which uh, people- I assume will dry up in due course. No, the people are voting with their feet. Um, and and particularly now that you've taken on this kind of role as a Danny White, you're very much the Danny Widler of rugby league jerseys. You're breaking news. You, you kinda, um, you, you, you're breaking stories to other outlets. Uh, yeah, it, it's been quite a, it's been quite <laughs> a, a thing to see. It's a real backhander for uh, you. <laughs> well, it's a real backhander. I, really, I think there's no need to low blow me with Danny Widler so early. <laughs> also, well, but but also Danny Widler, the other thing that you and Danny Widler have in common, of course, is that no matter what the topic, you're on camera, and that's the important thing. Danny, of course, films his interviews mm. with himself in them. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, well, sorry. I think he did. I think he broke one of the pleasure machine stories really early on in the piece, and that's sort of the final step for me. If I could get an interview with Solomon Hamono or the pleasure machine or both, well, um, you could you could broker would... a reunion. Yeah. Oh God, wouldn't that be a show? Uh, yeah, that's an idea. Could we facilitate that? Do we have the influence? Uh, we're getting there. I think step by step. Um, give it a few weeks. Who knows what we'll be able to accomplish on this program if if we can if we can uh, if we can make the money work. But uh, thank you again for joining us. Can you tell me what? Having just watched this game, uh, can you give me some high level impressions of what? I mean, it's quite something. I think uh, the thing is is that this is the perfect game to watch if you want to learn some stuff about some really good players. And, because you know, sometimes you watch games and we, we pick a game at random, right? And not everyone has a good game all the time. Like, you go, you can go, we can watch a Newcastle Knights game where Andrew Johns doesn't do too much or, a, you know, a Parramatta game where feasibly Brett Kenny doesn't do too much. It hasn't happened yet, but, I mean, it could, theoretically, of course. Um, yeah. You know, but we go into a game here where you, there is a lot of players that everyone remembers, right? Like, you've got Gary Jack, uh, Blocker, Ciro, Benny Elias, and then you've got Hanley um, coming. Everyone remembers his stint out. So you got like that's the bow main side, give or take. Um, and then you go to Penrith and you got, you know, it's this brand like young brandy mulleted. I love mullet brandy, by the way. Can I say mm, like it's a good brandy mullet the, oh. in the brown too, in the yeah, chocolate brown soldiers. White. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is brandy side. So you got you got, you know, Izzard and Cartwright and young uh Gaia and all these guys, right? So it's sort of right at the um there's a lot of guys that people do remember. It's a very fond era, and and quite a lot of them are very notable in this game, like on both sides, that the guys that you would expect to have a really good game or or, to, or are remembered best all do something. So it's a really good game. If you wanted to go and get a sense of these guys, you go watch it, you really will get that sense. Um, and that's, you don't always get that. You just, you, you don't. It's probably, probably Wayne Pierce was the only quiet one. He didn't do mm, a hell of a lot. Um, and, and everyone else, I thought, really just did a lot of the things that if you watch their highlight reel, you'd see a lot of them on it, doing yeah, similar it things is. to this, you know? Benny scheming, Mark Geyer trying to kill people, Blocker skillful and trying to kill people, and Ciro belting everyone. And, mm. you know, look, it's all um, Brandy's just kicking and silky smooth with his running game, and Izzard's bullicking, and Hanley goes without saying. It's just I th- all the guys who you re- will remember do their thing. It's just a real strut your stuff sort of yeah, going with your game. Hmm. And that's what makes it so great, I think, is that on both sides, there are these great players throwing things at each other. and uh, Belmont have by far the better of the first half and, and go in 10 2 in front of half time, and Penrith mm. come back in the second half and make a real have a real crack at it. But yeah. you're right, it is that there is some dazzling football in this game, uh, there is some extreme violence in this game. Mm. Uh, only about 30% of what happens in this match would be allowed to happen today. Um, but I thought I thought I should share a little bit of the context that this mm. match is played. So, this is the second last round of the 88 season. And Balmain, who everybody knows now, made the 88 grand final, are not in the five. Uh, they came into this game in seventh place, uh, a pretty indifferent season. Uh, they hadn't been in the top five since round one, but they were starting to build. They'd won five in a row from rounds 15 to 19, and then the week before this match lost very controversially 8-4 to last year's Premier's Manly at Brookvale Oval. And that match was notable for the for the fact that they lost. It was notable for the huge controversy that erupted afterwards, which we'll get to later on. Um, but it was also notable as the debut for their late-season signing, Ellery Hanley. He played that, that Brookvale match was the first of his eight games that he played for the Tigers in 88. They signed him on uh, an amount of money which uh, everybody in the in the Sydney papers at the time wanted to speculate on. The number that seems to be agreed upon is $2,000 a game, although there are all kinds of wild figures get thrown around for how much he was getting paid. 
but he had been in Australia for the for the Great British Lions tour, and they brought him over to play, or they kept him in Australia to finish out the season. But they weren't in the five, uh, and they needed to win six games in a row to end up making the grand final in '88. And this match against Penrith was the start of it. Penrith, by contrast, they came into this game uh, well and truly in the five. They were second. They'd been first after round 16. They were still mathematically a chance of winning the minor premiership coming into this match. And starting here, they end up losing uh, three in a row and missing the finals altogether yeah, and going uh, out. It, it's, it's one of those games, isn't it? We we had one with the, the Bears and West in, I think, 96 or similar, where there's games that sort of define seasons and that sort of thing, where uh, we've done some others as well. The, the Snow Games one, where, where you sort of um, you look at where the seasons are at that point, um, and that being Canberra and the Tigers, of course, and then where the seasons go to, and it's like this game is almost a catalyst. There's games and seasons um, that do you can't see it at the time, but they end up defining your season. Um, and, and, and we all know that sometimes fans know that, and they seem to have known that going into this one. There was a lot of talk in the media, sorry, in the commentary, and, and certainly the crowd had that thing that they knew this was quite important for both teams. And we've all, but I think everyone who listens will have been to games like that. It might be round 18 or 20 and not a final, but you sort of go in knowing your season one way or the other. If you write up, this is the one you need if you want to push that top four, or this is the one that you need for the finals. Or even though mathematically it's not, you sort of yeah. get that vibe. We've, we've all had those games in the last 10 weeks of a season. Um, and, and that that is what, they seem to be commentating on, isn't it? Like that, the commentary is very much pushing that vibe. The crowd's really up and hard early, yeah. and they all seem to know that a lot's riding on this, and it really did. And, you know, if it went the other way, maybe, um, you know, Penrith probably might have finished right up the top and, and made a run of it. And obviously, we wouldn't have one of the great stories. Um, you mentioned Ellery, and of course, I'm sure we'll get onto him, but w- would it be fair to say that? Well, two things. One, because it's fair to say it was two thousand dollars a game, well spent. Oh my god! <laughs> Even allowing for inflation, I don't, I don't know if you've done the maths on no, inflation. But like, can you turn that was. into modern money for us soon? I mean, that's your go. If you could turn that into modern figures by the end of the podcast for me. But, but secondly, do you think there has ever been a more famous eight games played by someone? So, you know, we, we've had runs in our lifetime where, you know, that like the, the, the Parramatta Jared Hayne run at the end of the season mm. to make the eight and, and Barber and co- even guy Cody Walker the other year had a run like that and Tom Trevojevic. Um, but even when those were about eight to 10 games, they did play there all season. I would love to know if someone has actually played eight games, um, albeit he came back, you know, in the very, very old and decrepit yes. <laughs> the late 90s. If we sort of look at this as, as his stint at Balmain, has anyone ever left a bigger impression or had a bigger impact on the sport? in eight games. It's astonishing. <laughs> it's, it's astounding. And, and it's so yeah. famous. People yeah. still talk about this yeah. all the time. They didn't even win the comp. But but this yeah. story, the whole Ellery Hanley thing, it, it has this mystique around it. And I mm. guess part of that is that it's so unusual. Like he turns yeah. up three weeks before the end of the season. If they lose this game to Penrith, yeah. the game that we're covering today, they go out. They they come sixth or seventh and that's the end. His th- that's a three-game stint and, yeah. and all of what follows um, you know, fails to eventuate. And just instead, the people who don't remember, just because it might, I mean, older people will, but younger people, if you do listen to this, will re- need to remember that much like when Kenny and Sterling went over to England, there was a dip before the seasons didn't marry up back then, the same. Yeah. So England the reason this could happen. Winter, yeah. Yep. Yep. So the reason this could happen is that England used to play at, at a different time of season um, to Australia. So there was this, like, not a whole season, but there was a gap of time where players could be over at one or the other. So that's what allowed this to be a possibility in the first place. It's probably important just to 
mentioned that it out as to how they got someone over for eight weeks. Yeah, and you used yeah. to get it when we've we've covered, yeah. for example, the eighty-five Challenge Cup final where Sturlow plays a stint for um yep. Hull and Brett Kenny plays a stint for Wigan and this kind of yeah. thing. And you did get a bit of this in the eighties, but this is this is by far the most famous one. He had captained Great Britain to a two-one loss on the Great Britain tour, um, and and stayed around. He played he played at lock for Great Britain for yeah. two of the three tests. And then play centre for the Tigers, who can't score points. They've got this all the report, all the newspaper clippings from the time. They just keep saying, "Oh, the Tigers, that they, they've got a good pack of forwards, but their attack's just not there. Their attack's mm. just not quite. You know, they just can't get over the line." And so they, their solution to this is to to get Ellery Hanley and stick him out in the centres. And what follows is this game in which he is uh, very, extremely good without scoring a try, uh, but his run from from here on. They beat Brisbane the following week. Then they play Penrith in an elimination play, like a Tuesday night fifth-place mm. playoff. bit stiff on Penrith, by the way. They had miles better for and against, but had to go through the playoff. He scores in that. Then they get into the final that Saturday. He scores two against Manly. He mm. scores against Canberra in the minor semi. Then he scores against Cronulla in the prelim uh, to get them into the grand final. And this game's the first of a run of six games in a row with him in the side. Uh, in which he scores five tries. Uh, it's ex- just extraordinary. Uh, and people I, people still, anyone who was there to see it, people still want to talk about it um, because it was so unusual and so electrifying. Well, there's, there's only, um, in the NRL, and I, and I know it's the New South Wales RL, but, you know, the, the history of the competition that is now the NRL, there's only so many times that someone can come into it that, can make that big of a difference because the majority of the world's best players for all of our, for our living memory, you know, like at least going back to the invincibles and everything really have all come from Australia. It's very rare that you can bring someone in. So when, when you get Hanley and, and like even you can see it was Sam Burgess, right? Who was out here mm. a lot longer um, and Adrian Morley um, in, in a very different way to Ellery. But, um, <laughs> but when someone can come over here and be elite, it really does capture the imagination because it's not, we sort of, operate on the assumption and quite a lot of the time rightly that all the best players are already here. So we see people's progression. We see 17 and 18 year olds and they come in and you go, well, he's pretty good. And they build up and one day they're excellent and they, they hit their peak. But so when someone just comes out here that we don't see all the time and, you know, you've only seen in the test matches or you haven't seen at all and they rock out here and all of a sudden they're, you know, elite, it, it, it's incredibly captivating because it's not, it's just not something that we're used to seeing. It's not like soccer where some, the best bloke in the, one of the European leagues just ends up in the Premier League. It, it doesn't yeah. really – we haven't. We often haven't seen these guys ever or heard much about them, particularly back then when it wasn't on TV. You wouldn't have seen any English footy on TV. No, he, he would have been someone yeah. who – he would have been someone who played against Australia every now and again in yeah. in, in test matches, and that was mm. it. You know? But he, he comes into this – he comes into this Tigers side with this big reputation as the most expensive player in the world and the best player mm. in the world – He's just about to win the golden boot. He won the Man of Steel the year before. Mm. And so there was all this hype around him. And then he comes out and plays like this. And people just lose their minds. You can hear when he gets the ball how the crowd just goes, right, we're on here. As soon as he gets near the ball, um, the commentators lift and all the whole mm. whole tenor of the match kind of raises whenever he gets near it. Uh, it's it's quite an extraordinary thing. The Tigers, for, for context, um, had had a kind of funny... A couple of seasons, they they were starting to come good. Um, from eighty five, they finished second and made the minor premiership. Uh, and sorry, 
finished second and went out in the minor semi-final, then finished fifth and lost in the prelim, then finished fourth and went out in the first week in the eliminator. Um, but they were in this this season was in the middle of six straight trips to the final, so they had mm. started to make some progress in '85, and then were right in the thick of it now with this really strong team that everybody knows with Blocker and Sirenen and Gary Jack and Wayne Pierce and Benny and the rest of them. Uh, but Warren Ryan had taken over in '88, uh, and frankly, I mean, two weeks out from the finals, you've got this very storied coach had taken over. At this point, it looks like they've gone backwards, right? They've made the finals the last three years in a row, made a prelim two years ago, and they, they look like they're going out. Like, it looks like this is all going to amount to nothing. Um, yeah. With the, with the walk yeah. having taken over, um, with the success that he had had. Uh, incidentally, his predecessor as coach, the, their coach in 87, was actually the sideline eye for this game, Bill Anderson. <laughs> um, but it's worth talking a bit about Penrith as well, uh, because they this is really the first fair income side that, that they had been able to get together. This is where they really start to build. Um, you look at their their, their the, the, the twenty seasons that they'd had prior to eighty eight uh, when they first come into the they first come into the comp in sixty seven, and it's you know eleventh, eighth, eleventh, tenth, eighth, eleventh, twelfth, tenth, eleventh, ninth, tenth, tenth, twelfth, eleventh, twelfth, eleventh, seventh. You know, mm. and they make the finals uh, for the first time in eighty five, eighty five, yeah, uh, under Tim Sheens but then miss it the next two years. And finally, this time, mm. a couple of weeks out from the finals, they're in second place and they're a chance of winning, going for the minor premiership. It's the best season that they've ever mm. had, it seems like, at this point. This is supposed to be the start for them yeah. um, under their new coach, Ron Willey. And and so at that point, two weeks out from the finals, you go, well, Balmain are the ones who are supposed to be dipping and Penrith are the ones who are supposed <laughs> yep. to be going up. And it's this crossroads for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an interesting thing you mentioned with Penrith because what came to mind to me was, again, um, we've talked a lot about chance and going well at the right time before in terms of the 90s with clubs going out. And I think the point that um, what you read to me there sounds so much like Illawarra and mm. if Pet Penrith. And the reason I raise it is that Penrith are now a real jewel in the competition. And um, even before this recent run of absolutely outstanding football they've had, you know, with the back-to-back premiers and three grand finals in a row, um, what you got you know, in the early 90s was this amazing run of back-to-back grand finals and a premiership and a local side built up. They they have another great premiership win in the early 2000s with a lot of locals. And now they've got this one of the best teams of all time. But, you know, if the Super League war had happened in the in the mid-80s, they would have been the, the, an Illawarra position of 20 years of doing nothing and really expendable to the, to the comp. Um, and it's, I only raise it because it's one of those things that it was so fickle. Um, they were very lucky to have that golden generation first lot come along and make themselves a bit more important in the early 90s and, and to sort of have done a little bit more by the time all the chaos came around because, mm. you know, that reads a lot like an Lanilawara who start 20 years after and go to 80 to the late 90s with not a lot happening. Um, and they're just starting yeah. to build a young team with a lot of good yeah. local players yeah. and yeah. then Super Lake happens and knocks yep. it all over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a tangent, but I just think it's important. No, you know, right. They really hadn't done anything at all um, and all of a sudden – given time and, and everything else, they're, they're one of the absolute jewels of the competition now. They're full of locals. They produce all these players and they've had as much success now really as sort of anyone. Mm. And it, you're right. You've, that's a really good point. Uh, they, they start 88 uh, we, having signed a few players. They bring in Peter Kelly and Chris Mortimer and the Penguin uh, and, and, and Neil Baker, uh, who had been Dallium 5-8 of the year in 85. And this is, this is where it starts. And they end up falling out mm. in 88. But, 
in the years that follow, uh, second in 89 and make the minor semi, third in 90 and lose the grand final, and then they win it finally in 91. So this was the build. They From this disappointment, they go second, third, and yeah. uh, into two grand finals and win one. So it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real kind of tipping point for, for both clubs in a lot of ways uh, coming into this game. A couple of points on 1988 more generally, as you might have guessed from the fact that Penrith, a fortnight out from the end of the season, could finish anywhere from first to sixth. Uh, it is a remarkably close competition. As Cronulla win the minor premiership on 34. Canterbury end up on 32. And then you have Canberra, Manly, Balmain and Penrith all on 30 points. So Very close. Third to sixth, all on the same number of points. And Brisbane on 28. Brisbane played the Tigers in the final round. And had they won that game, they would have been in the playoff and they could have made um, the finals in their first season. They were one of three new teams, of course, with the Knights who finished 14th and the Gold Coast Tweed Giants. I know uh, Gold Coast Rugby League very close to your heart, Gazzy. Mm. Up the tweed. Um, up the tweed, 15th in their first season. <laughs> yes. Would you like to have a have a crack for me uh, at who the top try scorer was in the 1988 New South Wales Rugby League? What an excellent question. Um, did you say Cronulla finished first? I did. Well, I might just go with ET on the basis of Cronulla being very high. I just I thought I'd pick it, someone from a Yeah, it's a good stab. Look, he was second on 17, our top try scorer with 20, and we haven't got a mention of him in on the pod for a little while. Uh, Canberra's John Ferguson. Chica. 20 Good tries in 1988. Yeah. Uh, ET second on 17. Michael O'Connor 17 as well. But this is one of the other thing I wanted to get at. Fourth on the try scorers list with 15. Wally Lewis. That's very high, isn't it? Extraordinary number of tries. You know, he's very um, getting uh, reasonably long in the tooth at this sort of point. Like he's, he's sort of mm. relatively late career. Um, in the halves to be scoring that many tries, fantastic effort. Yeah, thought you'd like that. Yeah, I would. That's a fair, that's a very good um, top set, by the way. Like in terms of place in the game and name value, yeah. that's a very high sort of top five, isn't it? Well, Chica is probably the least famous of the four. If that's well, not comment. on this podcast, not here. It's not. That's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll be picking three games with him in it in the next three to get our ratio back to appropriate levels. We're sort of falling. In. If we took a blood yeah. test at the moment, they'd say we're outside acceptable range of Chica yeah. uh, ratio. We're outside the target band. Uh, yes, very much that's... Reserve Bank of Australia. Yes, um, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get. We should get into the game. Uh, and, and some of the mad things that happened in this match. I do just want to share with you uh, the little bit of context from the week before. Balmain lost, as I said, 8-4 to Manly in round 20 uh, at Brookvale Oval. I just wanted to read to you an article yeah. from the Sydney Morning Herald's John McDonald in the aftermath of that game. Uh, Balmain self-destructed with a tragically ill-disciplined first-half display in losing 8-4 to Manly in yesterday's dramatic Winfield Cup match at Brookvale Oval. That was not a, uh, not a view shared by the Balmain camp. However, players, officials and supporters were in a mood to rip the stripes off any tiger and used language which would tear the paint off walls to describe their disgust at what they regarded as robbery. It may surprise you, Gazzy, to know that uh, Coach Warren Ryan was the most vocal of all <laughs> in, in delivering an impassioned diatribe against referee Greg McCallum and reviving the silver tail argument against an allegedly favoured manly. Uh, Ryan copped a three thousand dollar fine from the New South Wales Rugby League for his outburst. Um, the, the the most controversial decision 
was when McCallum failed to award a try to Balmain half Gary Freeman in the 24th minute. Uh, instead of awarding the try, the referee sent off Balmain prop Steve Roach to the sin bin for 10 minutes and gave Manly a penalty. Roach had engineered the try, but after passing the ball to Freeman, he hit Manly prop Phil Daly in the face. <laughs> Seems out of character. I know, it's, it's extraordinary. McCallum made his decision acting on a touch judge's report. The decision robbed Balmain of what would almost certainly have been an 8-2 lead. Now, this is what the WOC had to say about that decision. Uh, now, we're very clear on what's happened here. Blocker has thrown the pass to put Gary Freeman through. Then, as Freeman streaks away, he's decked someone, um, which can happen. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> he claimed to be provoked, incidentally. Um, <laughs> How much should it take to provoke blocker to violence, do we think, a huge amount. those days? The walk's comment was, uh, I think you'll enjoy this, it was about as relevant as if I, uh, sorry, let me start that again. It was about as relevant as if I had hit Bob Fulton with a pie in the grandstand. (laughs) I've got to pay to see that too. (laughs) It was about as relevant as if I had hit Bozo Fulton with a pie in the grandstand. I've never seen anything like it before in rugby league in my life, he said. Um, (laughs) I think he's on the right side of history there. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Has there ever been a better blend of skill and thuggery than Blocker? No, not like, really. Like, like people that are as thuggish and violent as him just don't generally have the class with the ball. <laughs> no, they shouldn't really be allowed to be that good yeah, at the same time. Yeah, he's so clever. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with a bit of a deck in the face after you put someone through a hole. I think no, that sort of right. goes part and parcel with the game, doesn't it? Didn't affect the play. That's going to get on with it. Second yeah, row of Paul right. Sirenen and fullback Gary Jack were both sin-binned in the first half, but for a short period, the Tigers were reduced to 11 men. Balmain played 20 minutes of the first half with 12. Uh, Centre Mick Pobgy and uh, Manly half Des Hasler received further sin-bins in the second half. Manly's winning second half try to winger Matt Burke was the result of a markedly forward pass, uh, but with mm. all the raging controversy, that wasn't even mentioned. Uh, Wok said... It's a lot of binnings. It is an awful lot of binnings, isn't it? Extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, Ryan said action should have been taken against Manly players in addition to, quote, that piddling send-off of Hasler at the end. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He said there were a lot of shepherd runarounds by Manly, which were neglected or ignored. It just seemed a shame if Manly weren't in the five. You're not supposed to say anything against referees, but players know when they're not getting a fair shake. Uh, So uh, Wok very much uh, calling calling some kind of, making some kind of bias allegation there. Mm. Uh, it might surprise you to know that Bozo Fulton was uh, not quite uh, as volatile. He said there could have been more Balmain sin bins. <laughs> <laughs> you, make, you make your bed and lie in it. It was, it, it was not, in my, in my opinion, in the best interest of the game. When you look at the inclusion of a noted hothead in the centres, you start to wonder. It's their problem. Maybe it's a lack of discipline. So, Yeah, I, I think... Um... I'd like to have seen them sit down and work this out. Mediation, sort of walk and... Walk and uh, blocker, yeah. Walk, yeah, I'd see walk and bozo sit down and just... Um, I think that'd be a meeting we could all get behind. They'd all come out shaking hands and have gotten over it, sort of polite friendliness. <laughs> yeah, it's um, they're just two people who... Uh, they're just two people, two easygoing guys who, you know, um, mm. can, can resolve issues calmly. Uh, I've never seen anyone um, complain about repeated shepherds in a game before. That's a new complaint. I've, I mean, I've heard an obstruction call be a problem, but the the claim of repeated shepherds by a team, like intentional repetitive shepherds, is completely new as a 
means of coaching complaint to me. Yeah. That, you're right, actually. I'd never thought of that, but I, I've never seen a coach do it. I'd love to see it happen more often, um, mm. you know. But uh, Blocker, uh, he was quoted as being livid. He said, he said <laughs> Before uh, or after he punched the bloke? Well, <laughs> he said, he hit me three seconds late. I'd love to play them again tomorrow. Um, that sounds vaguely ominous, doesn't it, dear? Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be signing up for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll that. tell you that. And so I that is that he why... needs to play them again tomorrow. Like, he's been hit three seconds later, just wanted by punching the guy and now feels yeah. he needs vengeance. <laughs> he needs a chance to square it up. Yeah. I think already <laughs> squared it up, yeah. I did, uh, I did go on and bash them in the in the first week of the finals, 19-6, so that might have been some mm. satisfaction. But uh, the, the, the great thing about this is that Greg McCallum gets absolutely – like, he gets then appointed to this game the following week. Mm. He gets put on the Balmain game. Um, for the following round and gets absolutely howled onto the field at Leichhardt Oval. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a superb display of booing uh, as he runs out onto the park and everything he does gets booed. Uh, but he is the referee. I should tell you as well, or I should, should tell listeners that this match uh, was covered under the magnificent Channel 10 tripartite commentary model uh, of Ian Bear Maurice, Graham Hughes and Rex the Moose Mossop. Uh, with Bill Anderson on the sideline, I think we will, uh, at some point, get onto some of the uh, some of the commentary provided by the Moose during the course of this game, as is always the case when we get one of his matches on this podcast. Uh, but Gazzy, the early exchanges in this game are quite fervent, aren't they? Quite quite fevered. Um, Balmain get a penalty in the very first set of the game. They swing it off the tap, and Ellery Hanley drops it. Uh, Alexander start, like grubbers the ball through and there's a completely blatant knock-on by Scott Gale, ignored by the referee. Uh, Brad Izzard is clocked high by Blocker. Um, it, it's just, it's very, uh, it, it feels like a finals game. Yeah, well, it basically is, isn't it? But, mm. um, yeah, it's back and forth. Uh, it's really hard to tell who's on. I think sort of Bowman get a bit of an ascendancy eventually, but at that really early stages, it's very back and forth. Two pretty good sides. You can tell it, there's a lot on the line. The crowd's really whooped up by it and it's very enjoyable mm. now i want to share with the listeners a sequence of things and i wanted i want i would like to see mm. uh, if people at home as they're listening to this can can try and have a guess at which of these three incidents drew a penalty in the early exchanges of this match first of all this is three tackles in a row well it's actually it's two tackles in a row uh brad Izzard takes the ball and is clocked high by blocker um coat hang like violently coat hanging um the moose says uh, the referee was quick to sympathise that that tackle was a coat hanger. Uh, sorry, that that tackle was around the chest. He must have a high chest. Yeah, uh, like around his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Then from the very following tackle, Benny Elias jumps off the ground to haul Mark Geyer down by the neck. Mm. Like he's standing behind him, is much shorter than him, bounces into the air, swings his arm, and drags him to the ground by the neck. Uh, not advisable, by the way, but yeah. No. Uh, and then the Balmain players are offside. Uh, and it is that <laughs> which brings about the penalty. Not the coat hanger, not the wrestling move. It's the offside. They're up inside the five. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'll just say, like, take that point because that's the first time, like, involvement of Mark Geyer in something. And do you get this thing I get where mm. every time 
he gets the ball. Like anytime someone tackles him a bit roughly or someone runs anywhere near him, you get this tensing up that something really violent's about to happen. Like you're like, oh, I don't know if I'd be doing that. Like, and it often does, it doesn't hear, but yet anytime he runs it or he goes near a tackle or someone gets niggly with him like that, like gets around his neck, you just tense and go, something's about to like completely go off here. Um, oh, even, he's, just, oh. he's just mad. I mean, he's just complete. like... Even in that era, he's mad, like totally. Yeah, like he's like oh, completely off. Yeah. yeah, he's quite off message. Like he, he repeatedly, there are multiple, and I've, I've noted them through the game, there are mm. multiple examples of him just basically punch, swinging punches at people who have the ball. You yeah. know, like he just, <laughs> just stiff arm with a closed yeah. fist, whack, just yeah. flinging, just wild swings, you know. Yeah, um, it, it, as soon as I saw Benny do that, I thought, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Like, yeah. You know, like someone's going to die. He's just, he's just, he's yeah. just he's like he's, yeah, he just plays oh, like he's, he's got an screwless. ornament. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he, it's quite, uh, watching him in this era, is, it, it, it's quite a thing to see because you're mm. right. He, he's just completely uh, off his chops. But uh, as, as Penrith attempted the, to, to convert the penalty that they got for the Cardinal sin of being offside, uh, as Baker lines up the kick from 20 out nearly in front, there is a visible banner up on the fence. Mm. I love Mark Geyer written in brown. Don't we all? Uh, yeah, don't we all? Um, so, you know, the, the fact that he, all of this, you know, mad loose cannon violence that he was perpetrating week in, week out, it, it, it clearly won the affections of, uh, of people in the crowd. It would have won mine, I can tell you that for free. <laughs> so if he played for Newcastle, I would have a statue of him in my house. He's just a lunatic. Uh, he's um, just frightening. He doesn't oh, want to be man. anywhere near him in any circumstance. Oh. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, there ends up uh, David Brooks ends up squaring the scores a little while later for Balmain, and it's two all. Quick um, one on that. I just think we need to take a point. It was very high in my notes. David Brooks mm-hmm. is playing in the second row. We have a second row goal kicker. Kicks three from four for the game. Hits him really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs to be noted. Anytime yeah, he ends up getting forward. sacked, he gets sacked from the mm-hmm. kicking for Conlon later on. Yeah, it's shocking. It's a, it's a disgraceful decision. But in headgear think... too, kicking in headgear yeah. in the second row. Yep, yep. It's um one of I think a fair to say jointly one of our favourite things. Mm. Um, and good on him for adding himself to an illustrious at list of kicking forwards that we have had on this podcast and will hopefully continue to have on this podcast. You're so right. I'm really glad that you did mention that. Uh, yeah. the the penalty comes about. Well, there are two penalties that get Balmain into range. The first one uh, is against Graham Bradley for some work in the tackle, which Rex describes as the Christmas hold, uh, and then a couple of tackles later. <laughs> Uh, there's a penalty in the middle of the park for, for Kelly being offside. Um, and Rex says, Kelly is complaining, and I'm not sure I don't agree with him. Uh, I don't know what that means. No, I don't. Well, it's a bit, you sort of need to, the, all the double negatives, it's a bit hard to kind of. Yeah. I really don't know what he means. I don't know whether he means he agrees with him or he doesn't. I've got no, no. idea. <laughs> no. Well, maybe um, he's not sure either, and that's why he said, I'm not sure. Right? Yeah, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then Brooks lining up the kick. Uh, gets the following advice from the moose. Uh, he will only have to belt it hard to make sure of no deviation. <laughs> he just likes saying words, you know. Them, like with some of the stuff, it's just there's a couple of things he said. I just cackled. Like I just yeah. there's something about his use of language, and I know we've talked about this at great length, but mm. it's just it's not it's the combination of the 
like boomer earnestness mm. combined with this complete um, mangling and reforming of the language into shapes I've never seen it take before. Or again. Um, or again. <laughs> and that it should never take. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the result of all of that uh, is is that it's to all. Um, and then shortly after that, the game really kind of start the, the, the heavy the heavy stuff really starts Kelly is absolutely belted by Sirenan, Uh and then Gaia for the second time is dragged down head first by Benny Elias this time like dragged down so that his head is the first thing to hit the ground um, Shiro puts a few of those on in that first half he's like a truck um, he doesn't yeah. have a big game with the ball, but there's a few shots that looks like someone, it looks like the car crash dummies, you know, when they drive the cars mm. into the walls to see what, whether the airbags come out. Zero like, yeah. hits a few people where he's the wall. We say this about Blocker as well, but oh mm. my God, Siren is big for this era. Like he, mm. he's just so hulking. Oh, be, um, well, he would be big now. He yeah. He'd be big now. Yeah. Um, and he's got a bit of pace about him and those younger, like a, because uh, I remember him, what I remember is I was in primary school and he was really late on and a bit of a draft horse, like really late yeah. 30s, zero and a bit, you know, slow. But in these 80s games we've watched, he's got a lot of pace to go with, like a bit of mm. pace to go with that size. And, and it's it's a bit frightening. He's an incredibly thick human being like for that height. You know, people that tall just usually aren't that wide, you know. Even no, that's right. It's, it's quite incredible. The, 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 they both really, they both really stick out physically uh, yeah. in this era. Absolutely, yeah. uh, I tell you, someone else who sticks out physically, uh, Ellery Handley, mm. who has his first real moment of the mm. game and his first real bright moment in Balmain colours. Really, uh, about fifteen minutes into this game, uh, he gets an offload from a blocker hit up, and on the left edge, he gets it on the left edge. Remember, he's playing in the mm. centres. He gets it on the left edge, runs completely sideways, throws the dummy, and slices through just to the right of centre. Uh, and finds himself in the clear with with a couple of chases and the fullback. And this is one of those beautiful things that happens sometimes in football. Uh, I immediately thought of Darren Albert and Jared Mullen many years ago, uh, where Mick Pobgy is 30 metres upfield getting treatment. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sure, I don't know if the downtown rule existed in 1988. If, 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 if it did, Greg McCallum didn't know about it. Because Mick Pobgy, who was 30 metres upfield, pushes the trainer away and gets involved, <laughs> makes himself available to get the get the pass from Hadley um, and, and, and ends up, unfortunately, getting run down and then they knock on a dummy half. But it, it's a beautiful bit of athleticism from Hanley uh, and it's a beautiful bit of awareness from Pobgy to, uh, to get involved despite the fact he was getting treated, I think, for, uh, for, for, for an injury. The only thing better than that is when the player downfield is like on the defensive team is when someone is like 50 metres downfield injured and there's a line yeah. break and they pop up and make the tackle. It Darren Albert, right? Darren Albert yeah, and Jared yeah. Mullen. Yeah, it, yeah. it completely um, undermines what the defensive, <laughs> because the, the attacking team never sees it coming. Um, it, it, uh, it was, I would say just quickly on Hanley because I, I can't analyse every time he runs the ball, unfortunately, or we will go to five hours. But that that's the one that having watched him play for great, Britain um, and having seen some of his other highlights from this season and generally that was the bread and butter play and I think Wally talked about that on commentary in the 90 test series when he was saying how they were going to stop him the the roaming when he gets the ball on the left and roams across to the right 
he seems to have a fend in his left hand and a swerve that for everything else, he was not that he was bad in other ways. That seems to have been his bread and butter play that when he was in any doubt or you really needed something from him, he'd get it on the left, start swerving across the middle using his palm with his left hand and he swerved to, to just slice through. And there's quite a bit of that if you, you know, the remaining highlights of the season. So it's, um, I suppose that if you're, you know, looking for what, what his bread and butter was, it was this. This was the thing that would be on a highlight reel a lot, I think, if you went and watched his English seasons. The thing that really jumps out to me about him is how much, and, and you're right, you look at the, the highlights from the other final, the finals that they end up playing in their run to the grand final, that he he does so much from a standing start. Mm. This is not, very, very rarely does he get put through a hole and bust through. Yep. He gets it standing still and generates his own mm. um, power and generates pace and makes a break that way. He yeah. scores a, um, he slices through almost exactly like this a bit closer against Manly in the Eliminator mm. and scores uh, and then does a, a similar, similar thing against Canberra the week later where he runs sideways, looks for a mm. gap, throws the dummy bust through. Mm. It's, it's just remarkably dynamic. He, he's yeah. one of those guys, everything's in fast forward, but with this real hulking power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the word for him, <laughs> if we're going to you know trope him up, is mercurial mm. um, because in this game, he's not dominant in a... You know, obviously positionally it's hard to be, but he played lock and five eight and things all over his career as well. He's not he's not all over the ball like a like a you know the great halfbacks or even some of the great five eights like Fitlers and Dailies. It's just that like there's a point where I reckon um, when they eventually he throws the last pass for a try, which we're going to get to, and by that point I reckon he's had five touches or four touches, but two of them are runs like this where he skied through because he makes another one in a minute. So it's like he's had four or five touches, but two of them are these skiving 40, 50 meter breaks. And then one is the last pass for a try. So it's sort of like he just, when you need something, I mean, the one that I actually think of a little bit in, in with different ways is Steve Renoff. It was, is that guys that like, you don't go into the sheet and see 20 runs of the football. You don't mm-hmm. go on the sheet and see, like, he is not getting the ball all the time here at all. But what they do is, like, they're just, when you need something in the game and it needs to be broken open, everything he did was was out of this world. You know what I mean? Like, every touch was, Latrell Mitchell is one at the, yeah. at the, when he was playing centres for the Roosters rather than he was at fullback. You'd have these things, you go, oh, he had eight runs of the football with 22 tackle breaks and two <laughs> tries and a try assist. Yeah. Everything, everything he did, he's, there's actually a bit of similarity in that with the power. Um, in that, in a modern way, just every time he got it, it counted and it was hard to handle. Um, it's not him dominating the game. It's him just injecting himself at certain points when they need something and coming up with it. Yeah, that's right. I was going to ask you, actually, and you've presaged that slightly. Mm. Who does he, who, what, for people who are a bit younger, what, what modern player or more modern player does he remind you of physically and, and yeah. his style of game? Well, I think I think in his impact on the game was very uh, Roosters Latrell, where you'd get narky people saying he doesn't run do enough effort areas or whatever, um, or he doesn't run the ball enough. But you'd see this stat sheet where it was just stuffed, like yeah. every touch was quality. And and there's you know uh, in Latrell Mitchell uh, for East, you know they don't win the Canberra Grand Final without him setting up the match winning try, and they don't you know. He really was dominant on Chambers in the Melbourne Grand Final. So you get these games where his stat sheet isn't stuff, but everything he does, like he comes up with the magic moments that someone else on the field couldn't have done. And when you're in a game that's going to finish 10 all or 16 10 or whatever, if you want to be the one that's 16 10, you need someone that's just going to 
do something because the other team won't give you tries. You're in that tight game against good opponents. Someone, and, and that's what Renoff was like. Someone has to break it open themselves sometimes. You don't always get put in those holes. And that's where, maybe not stylistically, but in impact, but that's what I saw. A guy that when you were going to be in a tight game and someone needed to do something out of the ordinary to get you out of it, it was going to be him. And it wasn't going to be a sheet of 20 touches or 20 runs, but it was going to be the run, you know? Yeah, the one that, <laughs> that, the one that yep. is the yep. difference between the teams. Yeah, he yep. also, I think physically, he got quite a lot, when I think about it, quite a lot in common with the younger half of Brad Fittler's career. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Where that, to be that big and that powerful with the, but, but as an attacking player, is very unusual for the time. With and skill it, too, someone that could skill, play yeah. lock five eight centre easily yeah. because he was quick enough to, and, and footwork to play in the centres, but he had the power to play lock forward. And as a running five eight, he would have had enough skill with the ball to to handle it. That that's yeah. that yeah. I think like I really the first half of the career Fitler physically is the actually the one I thought of when I watched him play for Great Britain. I thought that this is quite Brad Fitler like. Mm. Mm. Now, from that break, which does not amount to anything. Uh, there is absolute carnage breaks out in the following set. But before oh. that, I just, I just want to note, uh, Gartner, as I said, knocked the ball on a dummy half. Mm. Uh, I, again, just a um, bit of Rex Mossop for you. I've seen Gartner make two mistakes that I don't really don't believe were in his lexicon any longer. Yeah, again, I, I was trying to understand that. And I think that he, at some point in his career, must have had a habit of making mistakes and had stopped doing it. Is that... I think that's probably right. I just found yeah. the use of lexicon in that context yeah. to be just, I, just I, extraordinary. I just thought he could have said, oh, you know, I, that's uncharacteristic for him. He, he's sort of grown out of that or he doesn't tend to make those mistakes anymore yeah. or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I'd be wrong. I'd be wrong. Yeah, you would be. That's 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 why he's the that's why he's the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolute carnage results from this. Well, I wrote absolute scene of violence, so a yeah. very similar <laughs> take I just, this. I can't, I... I you have to look at the highlights of this game yeah. to understand this. Um, John Cartwright takes a hit up 30 out from his own line mm-hmm. and is astoundingly spear tackled by Brooks and Roach. The ball comes out even mm-hmm. more astoundingly. There is no sanction against the Balmain players for this. Blockers, like I think Blocker swinging arms him and then the other two spear. T- I reckon Blocker clocks him in the head. Yeah, which Rex mentions as a swinging arm. So Blocker swinging arms him first, and then they spear tackle him. The yeah. remainder of them dump him on his head, and it, one of those incidents unsurprisingly causes the ball to come out. The ball to come out. Yeah. So Balmain uh, immediately decide latch onto the ball and yeah. spread it to Benny Elias. Um, and I've just written in He's capital letters. Streaking away sort of in space, right? Like at this mm. point with cover coming across. And he's got he's run about 15 or 20 metres, right? So he's got yep. he's at top speed. Yep. And he gets hit by Brad Izzard as hard as it is possible to get hit. Mm. It, from the inside. That's the, the thing that if anyone, you know, watches a lot of rugby league knows when someone comes from the inside, because you don't it's you're often a bit blindsided, like you're looking forward or out and someone comes and clocks you from the inside is always because you've there's no bracing there's no throwing out it's it absolutely irons him this is it's a folding an absolute it is the the the, the intensity of the contact and the force is astounding i i I ask you this guy like (laughs) where does this rate on all like on all-time big hits Top 10. Uh, top 10. Uh, there's a category of its own that belongs to Mark 
uh, Grenville on uh, yeah, Mark, Glenn, Martin, Mark Grenville Craig Field, and um, yeah. Craig Field, and then um, in that sort of is God tier, and uh, it, under that it's on there. It, it is actually on. It, funnily enough, I haven't. I, I bought ages ago the Winfield Cup 100 Magic Moments. Oh yes. Um, and I haven't, but I want they're on video, and I haven't. I'm trying to get them ripped onto like a somewhere pro that can put them on a like seat, a USB or something, um, or put them on a disc because I can't watch them. But I, it's one of the I raise this because it actually makes the top 100 Winfield Cup moments. I my grandma had these as a kid, which is why I bought them. So there's these for those who don't know, you, there's these videos in big red, like big red videos, like it would like of Winfield. Um, of course. 100 magic moments of the history of the Winfield Cup. And like most of them are really exciting tries and all this stuff. But this, like this hit makes oh. the top moments on one of the, one of the, uh, the VHSs um, or, you know, the precursor to DVDs for our younger audience. Mm. And, um, and it's the only one that I clearly remember. So I haven't watched these. I don't remember watch. I remember what house I watched them in. And it was when my grandma moved out of that when I was six. So I've watched <laughs> this before I was six years old <laughs> and remember it really clearly. And I, I actually. Do. The the only other one I can remember on there is this Michael O'Connor try, um. So it's stuck in the memory of a five year old. Um, stuck in the memory of I bet it's yeah. stuck in the memory of Benny. Jesus. Yeah. But it well no I don't think so. I'd be very surprised if he remembers that or anything else. Actually, I just oh, thought it would rattle goodness. everything. He gets up head. like it, he's on the deck it, for about five minutes, and he and and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. And he gets up and plays on, plays the full game. Or I think he comes yeah. off with a few minutes to go, but um. It's just extraordinary. It, it is one of the one of the biggest hits. It's completely legal. There's no like, there's, there's, it's not high. It's not late. It's none of that. He just one bloke has the ball, the other bloke tackles him, uh, and guys, it, 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 it's carnage. Yeah, he, the yeah. fact that Benny played on, like the fact that Benny did anything other than spend the next month, like in traction, on an, on a, on a drip. Is astonishing. Well, in 2022, he would have got sent off because it looked so spectacular. They would have felt they had no choice but to say, because it, it's like a, it, it isn't illegal. I think it's low and just below the shoulder, but it's mm. so spectacular. And he was so ironed out, lying there on his back, seemingly lifeless, that they would have ended up sent, binning him and saying that that just was wrong somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. so spectacular. They would have been like, we're going to have to not allow that in somewhat, like in case we've, Oh, you know, and, and uh, I can't actually wait to get those Winfield Cups out because you and I will be watching them all cold. But there, there won't be many tackles on that, like no. best moments <laughs> ever, where it's just tackles. They, they no, don't tend to be on the magic moments, do they? Like that's no, how and especially yeah. especially in that era, especially in the in the five meter rule era, yeah. where the game is a lot slower and you don't have these sort of collisions at this speed mm. very often. It's astounding. It, it, I I've seen it heaps of times, and it's still stopped me dead mm. um it yeah he he gets up and, and keeps playing the tigers attack and then gary freeman shortly after this i talk about carnage uh, gary freeman misses not one but two attempted swing stiff arms from mark guyer uh, and responds to this by telling him off which i thought was wonderfully admirable for gary freeman who is not a big man uh, mm really gives him a bit for this, like pointing, stays, stands his ground and yells at him. Very, very admirable. Takes absolutely no rubbish, the whiz, and uh, and good luck to him. Yeah, uh, I suppose. I mean, uh, at this point, I mean, Mark Guire is that violent. I mean, what, like, how could it get any worse? What, what He's already trying to murder you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose. But, well, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's three for MG for the game on swingers that we've got so far, and there's more to yeah. come. Benny, possibly... Uh, 
possibly still reeling from the force mm. of Brad Izzard, attempts a field goal shortly after this to make it 3-2. That was um, insane. I thought this was quite unusual until I watched the highlights of the yeah. preliminary final against Cronulla in which he does the exact same thing and actually does make the score 3-2, <laughs> um, which later proves quite important in that game. But, yes, he attempts a field goal and misses, and then shortly after uh, makes a break upfield, scurries off. Rex Mossop says he took off like a scalded rabbit. Um <laughs> which is magnificent. Brooks kicks the goal. It is 4-2. Balmain starting to assert themselves in the game. They get the kickoff from the from the penalty goal. Uh, the commentators thinking that not much is going to happen throw down to the sideline where Bill Anderson is about to interview Mick Neal about his nose operation. Mm. And then, Gazzy, all of rugby league history was leading up to this moment. I don't think that's too much to say. No, I don't think so. It's one of the best tries I've ever seen. And I've written in my notes, Blucker touches the face of God, which yeah. I think is fair to say. So we have a couple of trips. Couple of, firstly, just very quickly, uh, Gary Jack brings the kickoff back himself. And I make a mm, note, any time a back does that, that's a yeah. real statement of intent. Um, one of the great kick returners, it's fair mm. to say. Like, yeah, great game. He's really think, good in this game. So yeah, fast. Particularly at kick returning. He, he beat yeah. the first tackle eight. But if you said kick returners, I reckon he'd be right up there. Like Everyone would say Gary Jack. But um, then basically a couple of shifts and Blocker suddenly gets the ball out in the second row sort of area. Oh, baby. Uh, and, and dummies and goes at pace, like gets it at pace, <laughs> dummies, and then gets on the inside and goes through. Um, and I've just written... This is absolutely terrifying, like in space. Like Blocker is suddenly in the clear with the ball under one arm, pacing downfield. And we get a front on on the replay later, yeah. which is even better. Um, and basically throws the ball inside and, and, and you know, it goes through a bit. And Ellery runs with it for a bit, hits Benny Elias, and they end up scoring um, off basically Blocker off his own 20. Yeah. Um, starting the play. There's a bit of hands through. It's one of the best tries we've watched. It's top beautiful. 10. It's we so... made... yeah. If we top 10 the tries we've seen, um, and there's one at the end of this game as well that might get on there as well. But this one, like the Blocker going through, uh, it's like you, you and I were at um, Campbelltown a couple of years ago and watched Jason Tamalolo make a line break up very close and personal. Yeah. And it was it was a sight to behold watching Tamalolo in the clear hit his right foot step. Yeah, from you know, front on when he's coming front at, on at and, ground and level. And, yeah. and there's, there's a bit of that about this in that this doesn't look like anyone this big should ever hit that much space. Jeez, he looks for everyone to say. Like, oh. The, the front I've written here uh, in the I've written the front on shot of Blocker in the clear is the pinnacle of Australian television. They should have won a Logie for this, yeah, for for this footage because let me tell you, it, it, it's it's superb. It's also Gazzy. I mentioned I I, I deliberately mentioned that throw down to the sideline of Michael Neal mm. because this I I I put it to you. This is the very first instance of hold the phone Blocker. <laughs> It could be, yes. They go down to the sideline. Billy Anderson's interviewing Mick Neal about his nose. He hasn't even got the question out, and Blocker breaks through, and Bear Maurice has to say, hang on, Bill, because Blocker's gone through. (laughs) Hold the phone, Blocker. That's fantastic. All you need to do is just put a comma in there. Hold the phone, comma, it's Blocker. That's so good. Blocker's gone through. Well, that that whatever you're doing anywhere in the world, when you get that message through, it's cut yeah. what you're doing and drop everything. To, yeah, drop everything and run. I, I was a bit disappointed um, that we. I thought they were going to push on with McNeil and sort of a Jared Croker knee incident and having yeah. just this whole extensive, uh, wonderful try be be sort of broken by them just talking about McNeil's nose. <laughs> you know what's great about this yeah. is that in the I, I watched the highlights. I later watched the highlights because I was quite jaded up of the. Penrith uh, Balmain playoff, the Tuesday night playoff a fortnight later. 
And it happens to Bill Anderson again. Balmain score in that game when he's just starting an interview with someone. Um, they get the ball against the runner play and score, and he gets cut off, and, and Maurice has to come in again. Hang on, Bill, because, you know, and they run off and score. Uh, I have written here in capital letters, that is rugby league. Everything else is tripe. Uh, and I yeah. think that's the best way to describe it. He gets, yeah, he breaks to about halfway, doesn't fancy himself in the clear, shoves it to the winger Robinson. I fancied him, but yeah. He gives, yeah, I know, gives it back to Hanley about 25 out, who just stands like this colossus with two defenders nipping at him. He just stands there like a statue waiting for somebody to deign to get into position to take a pass and then shovels it underarm to Benny who scurries away and scores under the posts. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a it's a great try. It's, it's everything that's good about football in the eighties. Um, great awareness of space, you know. Like it, it, yeah. it's that it's it's wait 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 put someone through. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, it is. It's once they go clear, they they tend to finish these things off, and that's a, a real shortcoming today. Is that people often don't and passing in traffic, and we get another very good one later like that where people are in break, making breaks with traffic around them, but manage to find their men anyway. Uh, Ellery's at four touches for two line breaks and a try assist now, and you know that's sort of getting where, where I'm at. He hasn't had all these carries of the ball, but he's only had one that hasn't done much. Um, Benny having scored might be a good time to mention on him. He's he's um, really having you know, an impact now. He's had a big break already. Um, he's been impacted very hard, obviously, in that tackle. But uh, I, I just wanted to say on him, can, can I put to you that no, none of them come to anything in this game, but no hook has thrown more dummies. Oh, my God. At, like, <laughs> and changes of direction. In Like, he gets in a dummy half, and like he never just part. There is always a dummy and a shift of space, and then, like, a second stutter dummy and a passer. Nobody has ever epitomise the word scheming and crafty more than this one more than the first... he makes Robbie Robbie Farrow look like a robot, like a passport off the ground. Like it's so like just there'll be nothing doing and Benny just goes, picks it up one handed, dummies under, looks one way, goes the shovel dummy, and then goes back the other way and passes like to the first receiver who takes a hit up. Like, just I had him throw four in one play at one yeah. point. They, oh, he's they, a king. Magic. They, you don't see that anymore. It. Well, yeah. But even this, it must have been so stunning to watch in this era because he's playing against people like, you know, Roy Simmons and stuff. Like, they're, they're all, like, yeah. they're not that like hooker Mario, was a totally Mario different position. This is playing hooker. This is still you know? in the era where people who could play hooker or front row, and you've got this guy yeah. playing like a half. Yeah, yeah it, pl- it, playing like like playing like peak Robbie Farah in an era where Mario Fennick is is his opposition. Yeah, it, it's totally out of place. I mean, it's out of place now, but it's so out of place then, and it's beautiful. It's that so many of them are pointless, and I love people who extravagantly do pointless dummy. I mean, Scott Prince is the, the king of the halfback era of it. It's yeah. extravagant. <laughs> and that, that's what it reminds me of, is that, you know how, like, Scott Prince wouldn't just throw an unders dummy. It was the long one handout flying back, pointless extravagance of it. And Benny is that at hooker for someone, if you're looking for a modern, modern sort of example, he's in there that he doesn't just look one way and then shift the other. It's got to be, like, out one-handed and, like, like gracefully extravagant and elongated, and then goes the other way. And it's just so many past it. It's beautiful rugby league. It is. It's got. Mm. He, he's lovely to watch. He makes a while. He makes another line break mm. uh, shortly after this. Yeah, um, he's unable to offload the ball to a to another tiger to, to break away and score again. But uh, uh, the penguin uh, took out. I think Bruce McGuire in back play and ends up getting sent to the sin for five minutes. And then uh, the crowd erupts in foot stomping and kicking the fence and all that kind of stuff. It's a beautiful sound that you don't get at rugby league grounds anymore. No. That thump, 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 thump reaction to something mm. like that. 
particularly it, it's, a, it's a particular defense kicking is a particular thing for sin biddings and send offs. Yeah, um, which Good you see the five in. minutes by the way. Absolutely, bring that back. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever thought to mention that, but uh, <laughs> um, I just I, I, as that sin as that sin happens, I I I don't mean to labour the, the Rex Mossop point, but it does behoove me to say. Rex Mossop is having a judicial debate with him about the relevance of him being sent from the field. <laughs> yeah. A judicial debate with the referee. He's arguing, yeah. About the relevance of him being sent from the field. Uh, Balmain are on fire at this point. They're, they're all over them. They, should, away they should kill the game in this mm. in what's left of the first half. Um, they, Bruce McGuire, I do have to mention, for his attempt in the next set of the game to grubber for himself from dummy half, 20 out. Yeah, uh, having watched him and been very impressed with him in our first ever podcast in 89, I was very impressed with him again this game. But in neither this game nor that game did I ever get the sense that this was his game in his Chip go. Chip chase from dummy half, yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, I, I have never discouraged anyone from, from doing that, and I won't discourage him now. Well, if you see something, you'll take it. You don't want to stifle innovation, do you? No, you that's know? exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. He was very good again, by the way. Just as I would never criticise Benny for attempting a second field goal for eleven-two, well, um, and missing, I, but you know. I, I was off my head at that point. I just like I really cackled. Like I, I, I thought, why is he doing this first half? I've never seen someone miss two field goals in the first half or take two field goals in the first half. I don't think. Yeah, you've got to remember this was before Sterlo. Like yeah. Sterlo wasn't commentating at this point; he was still playing. So it was wrapping yeah. his rules. I mean, there's, yeah, that's right. there's no, no regulation. Yeah, I, I, it, I've never seen someone have two attempts in the first half. I don't think ever. It's heroic. He, he, I mean, I think, yeah, he did it all year, but it, it, it's but extremely why? admirable. It doesn't I, make it sure. any more explicable. I'm not sure. I, yeah, look, I, you won't hear me bagging him. No, um, I've done bagging. I just think it's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, it would have been 11-2, but he, he missed, unfortunately, mm. Balmain. Uh, Pen, Penrith then had a try disallowed about five minutes from half time off a of Brandy Grubber. It was a bit hard to tell on the camera. It looked pretty close to me, but... Uh, Bentley, it was who got there, but it was called back as a bounce. Um, uh, as you would expect, with Penrith losing the game, Graham Hughes demands that Brandy take the line on, um, unleash his running game, and then right on half time, the Tigers almost could have finished it here. Mm. Freeman drifts sideways, finds a lovely pass to put Scott Gale through. Gale's got great pace, scorches through the line, looks like he's going to go for the corner and his ankle tapped superbly by Brandy Alexander on about the quarter line. This is such a good ankle tap. It is so important um, for Penrith's chances because if they go in 14 or 16-2 here, mm. Belmont are all over them. I mean, they may completely run away with it. Um, but he, he gets across and stops him. Uh, after the As a result of the break, Baker is then Sinbin holding down in the ruck. Brooks misses a penalty, uh, and that's half time, 10 points to two. Yeah, it's a wonderful ankle tap because Gail's burnt the fullback and is going. And, and Brandy, I, I think one of the fastest halfbacks I can recall seeing mm. uh, play, it comes from nowhere. It's a very deep ankle tap. He's barely in the shot um, and, you know, very well could have actually, you know, bar a few things in the second half, actually ended up winning the game, given yeah. how close it ended up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and if, if it hadn't been for this, I dare say they wouldn't have uh, got anywhere near this close. At halftime, all I've written as a halftime note is this game is on repeat on every television in heaven. Um, mm. which is all I have to say about it. I think that's right. I think the one thing we haven't mentioned that we should is that this game, one of the unfortunate things is this game, you know, given we got the highlights package. 
Um, yes. So I, I do apologise if anyone was there, it, it saw the game or remembers anything. If we have not covered it, there's a fair chance it got we'll cut from the footage. Yeah, we got um, 58 minutes. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Channel 10, the State Bank big game, shown at uh, 6 o'clock on yep. Sunday night. Can I um can I make a point about that? Um, yes. One thing I, I, I did want to mention is that what really bugged me is that they played the 58 minutes of footage and we got them walking to scrums. We got we 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 got footage of Benny Elias down for five minutes and got them treating Benny Elias for five minutes. And we got footage of them walking back from goal kicks to the yeah. halfway line to kick goals. Like, what? Well, like, if you're gonna cut the game down. Why didn't they cut the bits out between people walking to the scrum and the goal and like the injury footage, like waiting for Benny Elias to get like recover from being literally murdered? How did that make the top fifty-eight minutes of the game when they actually cut game footage out? Like, I can't answer that. It was very strange. There's quite a lot of padding in there. Like there's quite a lot of, yes. of, of filler in there, despite the fact that it's, yeah, yeah, it is exactly. extraordinary. It's, it's um, not a bad idea. We possibly should have adopted it for this podcast and just when we finish, if you could cut this down, uh, I don't know yeah. if we've got 58 minutes of highlights might be pushing it. There would likewise be a lot of padding. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what you're proposing. I don't yeah. know what you're proposing for me to cut. Jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we might just like sort of... Uh, this is all gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, must have been, it must have been quite annoying for the person who had to cut it. I don't imagine that like cutting football highlights on a very short turnaround was especially easy in 1988. That no. strikes me as... Yeah, anyway, uh, it's, the second half begins with Jeff Gerard coming on for Penrith. I know we've done this before, but I'm going to do it again. I just have to, again, raise Jeff Gerard's career, career trajectory. Um, Parramatta, 1974 to 1980. Manly, 1981 to 1984. Penrith, 1985 to 1989. Uh, he was at Parramatta when Manly won two grand finals. He was at Manly when Parramatta won three grand finals. And he was at Penrith when Manly won a grand final. And he left Penrith the year before they played in two grand finals. Um, <laughs> Not a bad go, is it? It it, <laughs> it's, it just seems a bit stiff. Yeah, he was sort of going to all the right places. Yeah. He was, at, like, if, if he had just been at, Different, like if he'd just been at the clubs in a different time, he plausibly could have won. Like he was in touching distance of winning seven grand finals, <laughs> yeah. and he and he didn't win any. Yeah, <laughs> and he was on the lo- he was on the losing side of three Parramatta Manly grand finals, but with different teams, different yeah, different clubs. That's fantastic. Whichever, it, I just I know we've talked about it before, and I just couldn't. I couldn't. No, I think it needs to be again. brought up whenever we get the opportunity. I just, yeah, he he also he played like three hundred and twenty nine, I think, first grade games. Extraordinary career. Um, yeah, in that era, I mean, it, yeah. it was only it was only Terry Lamb that eventually took overtook him. But yeah, a great career, but one that could have been quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, now, the second half, uh, there is a break from Graham Bradley early on from his own half. I just mentioned it because. Uh, he then goes on to score a few minutes later and make it 10-6. Penrith really do lift in the second half. Well, I mentioned that break, actually. I got it in my notes as well, in particular, mm. because um, it shows the arbitrary nature of the rules in this era. Is that In the first half, there's a holdback when Benny Elias goes through, and we get a five-minute simulation for a holdback. On this, Bradley makes a skiving break, gets downfield, is tackled, and there is a one, two, three, four flop by yeah. Gale. Like, there's a four-second pause between the guy getting on the ground and Gale flopping on him and we get no sin bin um, because it's not a hold back. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's such an arbitrary, like there's no reason that that flop was any 
less bad than holding back the cover on a on a support because there's no like there's nobody back on site. Um and it you know I just mentioned it but it's just very funny. The further you go back the more arbitrary the enforcement of rules are actually are. That you know, today yeah. they would look at that and say, you are professionally taking you know giving away a penalty intentionally to prevent them from a very good chance of scoring and they would enforce it no matter what rule you broke um yes. back to, like, that's it's no he's very lucky to be on the field it's no better or worse than what penrith had, had bradley sent off for himself no that's right himself. no that's... you're right it is i mean one of the things that you really do pick up from watching anything from particularly the 70s and 80s is just how much how much of a random element there was in some of the in, in yeah. it. And because game and because so many games were so close and it was so hard to score tries and things like that, you would get these random penalties, especially in the seventies with the scrums and that yeah. kind of thing. But even in the eighties, you get these penalties that end up deciding the game, and, and so many games get decided on goal kicking. And you're you're absolutely right. I tell you what, though, uh, this is a very good try, and uh, he uh, he had a good game. The penguin, he was pretty. Mm. He made a few breaks like this. This one is uh, it starts mm. with. Starts with an offload from Branty to Chris Mortimer. They swing it left to Izzard and then Gerard. He throws a really nice little ball at the line to put Bradley through. Bradley runs 40 metres to score. Uh, and Rex says, well, uh, that old axiom about playing better running into the breeze comes into comes to mind. Is that an old axiom? I've never heard that. No. Not, well, I've never even heard anyone say axiom. <laughs> but, but no, I, I haven't. Uh, it, no. Because everyone uh, in the a... first half is talking about how tough it is for Penrith. They tend to behind with the wind at their backs. Yeah. And the next minute, Rex is saying, well, this just goes to show you they're playing better running into the wind. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I love the talk of the wind. We didn't get enough into the fact that there was wind chat because, you know, Heaps you, and, you and I love wind chat. Sadly, um, they never put a point number on it. No, I mean, I was, obviously. But, <laughs> um, but just knowing the results, it's not quite the same thing. Um, I think, look, I think it's a very good try and it's a very nice break. Uh, but I think the the most important part of this try is the um, when it, it puts up his name. And, you know, they put up name, age, tries Ooh. and everything after is because they put it up. And as you and I have discussed, we used to, we really enjoy when they come up with name and they used to come up with their occupation um, and stuff. So this comes up. But did you get on this, by the way? No, I, I didn't. I saw Ben well, Elias, uh, Occupation RL Development Officer, which well, I thought was a cop-out. Yeah, better. Graham Bradley, public servant. Oh, comes up across the thing, and I thought, oh, I'm more to be onto this. You know, it's the ultimate yeah. crossover. Imagine someone who's uh, spent his time in the public service. Imagine, imagine if you were in, in in the public service and you were coming in those like rugby league players playing Balmain, oh, like at the time, rocking around. Imagine how much work you wouldn't get done in your oh, man. Well, I told public you in service era. In I think in, about two episodes ago, episodes yeah. ago, I mentioned that when I did work in the public service, someone said their mate they were mates with Peter Jorgensen. And I absolutely went berserk. I chewed his ear off for twenty minutes about it and pulled up. Never had a bean. Pulled up the big leg cover. If it had actually been someone, like if the Penguin was yeah. in the next cubicle, goodness yeah. me. The day after this game, and you were discussing oh, what it was like to play against Hillary Hitley. Stuff yeah, like, oh, no, yeah it, it is. It really got me off my head because a lot of the others are. I just, we're just getting to the era where some people have jobs and some people are development officers. It's that sort yeah. of um, thing. And there was someone else there. Something was, someone was a trainee, something or other. And then you got Graham, Bradley, a public servant. And I don't know which public service he worked in. Well, yeah, we'll find that find that out. Um, you've got the relevant contacts, I presume, to find that out. <laughs> that's true. We could we could FOI it maybe. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the first rugby league sort of a cemetery FOI request. That's yeah, a fantastic idea. That it is a good idea, isn't it? I'm quite keen on that. Yeah, yeah, we could uh, try and get the records get try released get in his, the public interest. Try and get his personnel file. <laughs> 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 
tremendous. Um, <laughs> I think it was always heading this way. I think we were always going to end up. Uh, you know, FOIs, federal FOIs, various government departments. Mate, federal FOIs, free. You can do what you like. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's yeah. Well, that's a good idea. That's, um, um, we'll see if we can get on while we're on it. We can get after the New South Wales government while we're at it to see if we can get like details of the Quit for Life North when they sponsored the bears. Yes, yes. Uh, stuff like that. We could really start making a bit of a niche of that. A whole yeah. episode of us just making like legal requests for documents we have no entitlement to about various rugby league issues over time. Yeah, yeah. I can I can see this. I could see the cemetery spending quite a lot of its time. There might be a real lull in episodes while we start battling all these things through the AAT, but even so. Yes, yes. Um, but... Well, we have the time, the money, and the inclination. That's right. <laughs> You're so right. Can I just have a word for uh, for this kick, mm. uh, which converts this try from, uh, from Neil Baker? Uh, this is an absolute belter. Mm. He puts it over from nearly the sideline into the wind. Uh, it's a superb mm. kick and makes the score 10-8, and all of a sudden, game on, Mole. Penrith are right back in it. Well, Baker, it's all it's all sort of going to keep going from here. He's the star of the game now. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, he, so he's just put this kick over from the sideline to get them back within two. It's yeah. the kick of the day. That's what yeah. it's, it, yeah. And and look, the, the, this is a big moment because they were getting whacked. Like mm. they, the score might have been, you got to remember that scores weren't that big back then. Like 10-2 is a pretty big gap, A. And secondly, they were score aside. If you just watched the first half without the score out, the Tigers were flogging them, right? Like, yeah. In the run of the game. So all of a sudden it's 10-8, big kick from out wide. And you go, oh, hang on, Penrith is second on the table and it's on now, right? Like, this is yeah, it's on. Th- 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 yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, but alas, for, yeah, all of their, so. for, for all of their dominance, Balmain, like they, they, they're magnificent in the first half. They run through them repeatedly. They, sh- they mm. could have scored three or four tries. But in the end, the thing that gets them, the thing that restores their lead and that in the end is responsible for their match winning lead is a very innocuous kick downfield from Gary Freeman, which just trickles, trickles, trickles down towards the dead ball line. And Baker, possibly still thinking about his goal kick, possibly thinking about his Dally M 5 of the year award in 1985, saunters across, dawdles across, looks and stops and waits and lets it bounce one last time. And it bounces back towards Balmain and Ross Conlon who's come on in 33, falls on the ball in the corner and scores a try. Untouched. Untouched. Untroubled. Unchecked. This is a kick from about the uh, 40-ish, that sort of zone. Uh, Is that about right? Like a sort of give or take. He kicks it for space. Like he's trying to land it in the corner of the field to pin Penrith. Kicks off on the bounce a little bit. It's one of those kicks that it it lands five, ten metres out and you think, oh, if this kicks on, it might go dead. But it, it, but then it never really does look like going dead. It sort of trickles in the end goal, bounces high, and it's sitting in the middle. This is I've never seen someone ball watch one this far from the dead ball line. I would suggest that this is put down in the dead middle of the end goal. He scores in the corner, yeah. but in the dead lengthwise, yeah. it's dead not... middle of the end goal. And he sits there and he keeps. He not so much thinks it's going dead. Is thinks maybe it'll skip. And he sort of just looks, is waiting for the skip bounce, and he ha- lets it have. Uh, I reckon he has five to ten seconds where he could have played at this. Like, this yeah. isn't one bounce. He has he sits there and he watches a bounce, and he watches a bounce, and mm-hmm. he goes, I'm going to watch one more bounce. And that bounce bounces backwards, and the Tigers just put it down. I'll put It's a calamitous error. Um, yeah. The, as bad as any I've seen, I, I think it's notable. We must also obviously raise the fact that now having watched Penrith 
two times in this era that last mm. time we watched was the Zureb miracle. Of course. Um, and we're now watching this. So Penrith sort of backs and fullbacks have now really wowed us <laughs> quite yeah. a lot with that yeah. calamity. But, but this is as bad an error as I've seen anyone make. Like, oh, it's extraordinary. And in the context, like, this is their season. Like, they, yeah. They, they've got to play Manly next week. And they, you know, um, they, they had an opportunity to pinch this game and, and be second. And then this happens and they miss the finals. It's extraordinary. And Balmain didn't really look like scoring at, at it's not, point. So that people are clear if they've never seen it. it it's, it's not one of those kicks that is obviously rolling dead that has the consistent roll on and it, and it just takes some wicked bounce. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a dice roll as to whether it's going to go dead. Um, and yeah, he, uh, he, he, he rolled the dice and came up. Uh, well, when he kicked zero. it, it could have been a dice roll, but it just, one, yeah, no, once it was more... bouncing, it, it, when it hit the deck, you thought, oh, it might go dead, but he watches yeah. three or four bounces. And after the yeah. first one, it's pretty clear. It's just not going to. Yeah. It's just it's just hanging in a way that it never really you don't really think it's going to go and he, he doesn't the other thing is how far away he stands from it like he stands behind it yeah. sort of or to the side of it he like, doesn't, doesn't shepherd it he's not shepherding no, he it then he getting his body or anything yeah. no so he's not in a position where he can sort of strike that, that's the thing when I say untouched the tigers dive on it and he's not in touching distance of the person. No, Con- Conlon gets a clear play at the ball yeah. unchecked. Yeah. yeah, having got there 10 seconds after the first guy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's one of, the, one of the... I've never seen one quite that blatant. No, it's quite... It's Yeah, it, it's quite bad. Uh, it results in Conlon scoring to make it 14-8. He, he misses the goal by uh, hectares, but the Tigers get a penalty shortly, uh, shortly after for... An extraordinarily wild swing at Sirenen by Gaia on the halfway line. Mm. Um, another of his just closed fist, stiff arm thrashes. Well, he's fourth man in here, and mm. they didn't require a fourth man in. Like three people are holding uh, buttocks up, yep. and he the tackle is close to complete. And Gaia comes. It's almost a lazy swing. Like yeah. it, he doesn't even look <sighs> like his heart's in this. He just runs in when there's not much doing, and just like goes. I may as well try and punch this guy in the head. <laughs> Yeah, and pretend on, I'm tackling him. Yeah. Just goes and, and throws one. And and Ciro is one of the only people on earth that is in a physical position to give some back, gives him a fair bit of lip about it. Yeah. Um, and that's again really only a select few of people that have ever lived are in a position to do that. And it, he is one of them. Um, yeah. And it, it it from there quickly becomes sort of um, sixteen eight. Yeah, they two um, tackles later they they kick for touch. They two yeah. tackles later Elias has the ball stripped in front of the posts. Conlon with his very, uh, very, very, very peppy uh, goal kicking action. He took a very kind of I don't know how to describe his. It was almost balletic his uh, his yeah. approach to the ball, but he uh, puts it, it over. Yeah, for sixteen eight. And uh, then I mm. think from there, what I wanted to just point out is that, that there is a minute period if you count the first one where Mark Geyer comes in in the next set of six and actually throws two swinging arms in two tackles. Like yep. he swings the first one and they say, no, it wasn't high. And it, you know, was because Gary Jack nearly died, um, like was lying on the ground out. And when you look at it on the replay, it hit him across, like it was so high. It, it actually hits him above the forehead. Yeah. Like he clocks him. When we say hit in the head, That's he's swinging the ball back and Gaia clings it across his actual, like above the forehead and crowns him, um, yeah. causing him to be stunned on the ground. And then, just so nobody could make the mistake of thinking that was somehow an accident, um, Kosi gets the next guy in the next tackle and flings one across again. Um, 
and gets another one, which he again gets away with. So if you count the one that he's got on zero, he's now in the last minute of play, like hit three people across the skull. Um, and that's not counting the ones in the first half that were flipped. Yeah. And he seems to be particularly upset about the um, try in the corner and the like the try in the corner and penalty goal and them now being sort of behind the game. He's taking very personally and is determined that someone should like lose their life for this suck like, on the other team. It's quite, when you, like, given all of these developments in, uh, in, in, you know, brain science and the rest of it since this era, and given some of the things that we know now about, not to say that it was ever any good or that there was ever any feeling that this might have been any good for you, um, it is quite troubling to watch people getting clocked in the head like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, quite, right. like, it's quite yeah. unpleasant. It's quite disturbing to see well, people getting whacked like this. We're in a week where the the Paul Green news has come out that his brain's just you know was that they've it was severe. Very, very severe, yeah. yeah, and and they had no reason to think like there was no suggestion from anyone beforehand. So it came a lot out of the blue that that he's got this riddle. So you sort of it's right in our thoughts when you go and watch this that this can happen to footballers, and you know, um, and that's not a real crack at. Mark, I mean, Mark Guy was unhinged in that time, but they were all doing this. I mean, he copped a few himself. We've already told Elias, tried to get him a few times. And everyone is, he is the, <laughs> the premium offender, but everyone was doing this and they didn't know quite that this was going to be the result of people. But knowing what we know now, yeah, it is. It, it it's is, really hard um, to watch. It, there's it's... been a few. The, Ray Price was the one that stood out for me when we watched the mm. grand final um, when he's really getting, because they made a decision to basically see if they could take his head out of the game. Um, in an era where they thought they were just doing that and you'd wake up tomorrow and have a beer and be mates about it. Not that yeah. didn't, you know, that didn't, I don't want to make out like they didn't think that, that it was a good thing to do, but the thought was that he'd be hurt and you'd say, oh, you got me, mate, and you'd be mates tomorrow and not that it was going to cause brain problems down yeah. the line. But it, knowing what we know now, watching all the wobbly boot stuff um, that Ray Price did in that game and some of the wingers did was very troubling and we thankfully don't get a heap of that this game. But, yeah, it's... um. It's it's not great. It, it's just um, back on MG. It's just again. It just I, I can't emphasize enough that in an era that was so violent, he's so mm. um, wild, and yeah. and you can see why he did have so many personal troubles. Like yeah. you know, that, that when they were trying to stamp some of this out, that he was clearly because you know he's really like a really like beloved figure now, um, mm. and comes across as a very nice guy with a lot of genuine goodwill and everything else. But Jesus Christ, like the the. The violence city, man. Oh, it's awful. It's like, yeah. frightening. It is yeah, it frightening. Is. Frightening. And, and a lot of it is not what um, Roy Masters would call honest violence either. No, no, no. There's no, some really it? spiteful, like, like someone is being held up in a tackle by three other people and Mark Guy just comes across with a stiff arm and swing, and the person is totally defenceless and he just swings his arm yeah, in the head. Like, it's... it's not – this is not two people standing up and punching on. This is, like – yeah, you hold them down. I'll whack them. You know, it's yeah. The the game. It's like when he gets he gets frustrated by what's going on. He completely sees red. Like out of mm. it, like there's just red mist descends upon him, and and the carnage comes around. It's unbelievable. It really yeah. is like it, it. It's just it's hard to watch. It's in it's an quite, era it's... where everyone is scary. Like he's frightening. Like you wouldn't just imagine if you were anywhere near him, you'd just go. Like no wonder you know, and in terms of actual football style, he was intimidating and an enforcer. You just wouldn't want to run anywhere near him. Yeah, no, because you don't know, like, because you don't get a you don't get a warning, right? Like it's not, it's not, um, 
you don't get the choice to take him on. You're a chance of just getting whacked while yeah. you're, you know, while you're prone or something. Yeah, yeah it's dreadful. Oh. And, and it is, you're right, because he does come across now as, as quite a, like, quite a nice bloke. And he seems yeah, to, I suspect genuine. that he probably doesn't recognize, he probably doesn't recognize a lot of that stuff. Like he probably looks at that stuff that he was doing then and go, geez, that, you know, I'm sure he doesn't stand by it all, right? Like, no, 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 not at all. Um, not at all. But it just, it is hard to watch now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you something that was not hard to watch, Gazzy. Oh, um, you me. The, the piece of football which resulted in Brad Izzard scoring a try and uh, Penrith getting back within two points, I have written in capital letters, dazzling. Yeah. Uh, let me set the scene. Brad Izzard breaks through from his own quarter line, gets over halfway, gives it to Brandy Alexander, who bobs and weaves and gets his way to the to the opposition quarter and then throws a miraculous pass while falling to Izzard, who is backing up. Um, Brad Izzard originally went, through, originally went through Wayne Pierce, then stepped Gary Jack, and then is good enough to stay on his feet and get the pass back from Brandy Alexander. He scores. Baker kicks the goal. It is 16-14. Unbelievable bit of football. A uh, bit of second phase and stuff. Um, and Izzard just... It's a bit of a Brad Fittler step where he, and palm. It's a Fittler-like run that he goes yeah. past Pierce with, like a bit of steps off one foot, bit of a palm in the clear... Beats Gary Jack with another step. Um, but, you know, it's one of those covers everywhere sort of play. So when he hits Brandy, Brandy gets it on the right of him towards the center field and then heads back to the sideline, bobbing and weaving sideways. And and, and Brandy's role in this is beautiful because it's pace to get back outside the cover. Then there's a swerve to go right down the edge. And then there's the poise to wait, look, shift his body and wait for Izzard and pop it back to him where he just showed everything that made him a great player in that little moment. Um, I thought he had a good, like Brandy was a bit quiet in some ways because they were getting beaten the forwards, but his kicking game for that era was absolutely magnificent. It was really Ricky Stewart-like control mm. of kicking 30 metres further than everyone else. And then he had a couple of moments like this where they needed something and he just showed that. But the, the, the pace is just the right work. Word. Then, he, yeah, he, yeah. He really... Once he did all that, you needed to wait and know how to finish it, didn't you? Like with, yeah. with, with, with that, you know there was people all around him and he's passing with people on him in traffic with defenders between him and Izzard who gets the ball. Yeah. And he pulls it all off perfectly. Like he gets his body to shifts his body weight to make sure his arm stays free as he's getting tackled. He looks for where he is. He waits, you know, he sort of pumps at one point. So one of the defenders gets balked and then, and then hits him. It's very, very hard to do. It's Um, a great bit of football. football By both of them. I've mentioned Izzard because there was a lot of really unreasonable bagging of him for not handling Hanley in the first yeah. half. Like, the commentators keep going, oh, they've got to get him off Hanley. He's not handling Hanley, blah, blah, blah. And they, and in the second half, he makes a couple of breaks and then does this. And it's like, I just think he ought to be sort of somewhat forgiven. Um, overall, I think if you didn't handle Hanley a few times but did all this yourself, you could be relatively happy with your day because there's only so many people on earth who were going to handle Ellery Hanley. Well, like, and I think makes... what I think when you look at what followed over the over the next few weeks, there's a real sense that not many people could handle him because. Well, also um, not to mention, he skipped all the stuff he does. He skipped across about five defenders. Like, he yeah. very rarely beat his man because his yeah. man was if he Anyone. let's say Izzard starts on him, um, he's he's. Generally, by the time he makes the break, he swerved 20 metres across the field around five more people. I doubt he would have been tackled by his opposing player once. No, that's like, right. He didn't make a break. He's very roamy, wasn't he? Does, he? Like, they, he do was... really, they do really yeah. bake him. Oh, he's, been yeah. ba- he's sort of been bathed by his opposite number. I, yeah. Yeah, it did seem a good game. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Um, <laughs> and this is, a, this is a great try. It's, it's such a big effort this, to actually. barge your way through Wayne yeah. Pierce, you know. Yeah, 
with nothing on. And then beat Gary Jack after you do yeah, it yeah. with footwork. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, one thing I was going to, even after this, I think it's Bill Anderson, but someone, uh, someone comes through and says, well, the change I'd be making now is to put Mortar out the centres centers to Mark Hanley and yeah. Izzard into six. You know, that's what they should be doing late in the game to get up here. And like, Izzard has literally just broken the game up from mm. from centre and giving him a chance to win it. And they're still trying to get him off Ellery, who hasn't done anything at all in the second half. Like, no, he did barely, <laughs> get to, barely get to touch. Yeah. yeah and um, also, they're chasing the game, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's stunning it's call. They're, they're really, really giving... And it might just be what you said, is that Hanley hadn't been out here long yet. And um, it's maybe just not till a few weeks later, they might have forgiven once he did this to every other centre of the competition. Um, they might have given him a bit more leeway, but I thought he had a really good game. He had a couple of good moments, actually. He nearly went through a few other times, did this, and I'm just prepared to forgive him for missing a couple of tackles on Hanley, which I don't even think he personally missed. I no. just think he's technically the player with the opposite number on his on his jersey. I don't think he actually missed the tackles that Hanley no. went through on. And it's not necessarily good practice for him to be following him across the field, waiting for him to attack the line. No, um, the, Penrith don't really, like from 16-14, they don't really get a look. They don't get one last, there's no grandstand finish really. They don't, it's all set up for some for some drama, but they just never quite get up there. They never look yeah. like they're going to steal it. In fact, right at the end, Balmain have a real go at them in the last mm. couple of minutes to, to finish it. There's a wonderful run by Blocker where he's hauled down about a yard short, where he stops and props and shimmies almost through a gap. He's, it's the biggest shimmy you would ever see. But... One of my favourite plays, that, the old school plays where you tap and then pass to someone and they do the stop prop like they're going to do the run around, but it's a balk run around and then they go again because it's so slow. Yeah. Like, but everyone stops though because it's going to be a run around. Everyone, uh, and you never see it in the modern game, but someone gets it standing still pretending like they're going to do this one thing and then they're off again. And it's always a slow forward. Yeah. Um, it, it's fantastic. It, it's really good um, sort of rugby league. Uh, there's another moment there towards the end that I, I would comment on because I was waiting for it all game. I, I did want to see Blocker and Mark Guyer come together. Yes. And we finally got it. Did, did you get onto this at the end? I did, right at um, the end. Uh, the the second yeah. last tackle of the game, um, Blocker gives him a face <laughs> Gives you one of the most blatant face massages. Just the big, like, meaty hand on the head and just smushes it in there <laughs> and then drops the knees into him, just drops yeah, knee hard. first into him. It's just like, get that into you. Yeah. Swing an yeah, arm that, mate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but palm face to the ground, then two double knees into the head and guy gets up shoving and Blocker's like, yeah, it's, yeah letting him know he's going to win. Yeah. And he's right up in his face. And I thought we'd see him come together. I just didn't think we could get through a full game without no. some sort of clash. And um, it, it takes, again, it just takes a man of a certain... Uh, calibre to think it's a good idea to give like that blatant a face massage to, yeah. to, to Actually seek out the yeah, yeah. name. Uh, can I say I think Blocker would probably be uh, the patron saint of facial massages. If you went yeah. through history and we were able, and look I'm up for this if you've got the time again, the money and the inclination to go through every game and count everyone's like face massage throughout history and how many per game everyone was doing, make it like tackles and line breaks and have a stat. I reckon yeah. Blocker would firstly be number one for sort of, you know, like power, I don't know what you'd call them, like post-contact uh, face masters in terms of power behind them and for sheer number. I don't reckon anyone would have done more face masters no, his he, whole career. I've seen a couple in the games yeah. that we've watched. He did seem quite big on it. I, I once, Big mitt too, doesn't he? Like you don't see much of it mitt. anymore. It's sort of it's yeah. been rubbed out of the game. I I remember playing in a, in a school game for Cessnock West Primary School 
And one of the great things, like this is in year six, I think. And one of the great things about like school football is you get kids don't, who don't play, you know, who don't play on the weekend and they, they're kind of big or fast or whatever and they end up in the team because we've got to get someone. Um, and this kid who didn't play football on the weekends did the best face massage I've ever seen um, on an opponent, on an opposing kid right on the sideline in front of the touch judge and all of the parents just went the big smush right into his face. <laughs> Incredible. Um, yeah, the Wowsers officiated the game blew a penalty, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it has very much gone out of the modern game. Uh, the only other thing I have to mention about the end of this, uh, as Penrith doggedly hold out uh, to prevent Balmain clinching the game but don't get a chance to actually win it for themselves, is the moment when the ground announcer announces that Western Suburbs have beaten Manly. <laughs> yeah. This is almost this is one of the biggest roars of the day. The crowd goes absolutely berserk. Yeah, just because Manly didn't win. Yeah, they just yeah. they just announced the score from the other ground, and the crowd goes absolutely tonto. It is a celebration in its own right. Cop that arco. Yeah, get that idea exactly. Um, yeah. And all the McCallum stuff from the week before, but yes, yeah. full time. Balmain sixteen, Penrith fourteen. I'd forgotten that. It did, even at Newcastle, that used to happen. We used to go to the games in the nineties, and they'd go around the grounds. They go, you know, like. You know, East have beaten Manly. Hey, yeah. like the whole thing go the, Bronco, the Broncos, yeah, yeah. The Broncos had lost. Like, everyone would just go up. And it's, they're the two teams of our youth, Manly and um, you being the 90s and, you know, the late late 90s and mid 90s, late 90s. It was Manly and Brisbane. Everyone just wanted them to lose, rightly. Yeah. But, like, it, it was a genuine, it, everyone was as keen for them to lose as they were for their own team to win. Yeah, that's it. Um, it and and it's really it's only reasonably recently that that all went away, right? Like that, mm. you're right. It did extend well and truly into the nineties. Um, it's probably only when they disappeared for a couple of years that that it that it kind of went with them. But yep. yeah, a, a wonderful game. Um, Balmain after this beat Brisbane twenty to ten in the final round of the season. Beat Penrith twenty eight eight in the playoff on the Tuesday night. That game, uh, a bit of a pyrrhic victory though, because. Uh, Blocker Roach was suspended. He got a four-week suspension uh, in that game, uh, and that meant that he he missed the rest of the finals, and in particular missed the grand final, despite his best efforts to fly to Warrington and miss, sit out a reserve grade game. Uh, <laughs> that's where, that's one of the great rugby league attempts at, at, at skating around a suspension of all time. By the way, it, the only thing, that, the only reason it didn't work, Quayle said that he actually would have been allowed to do it if um, if it had been a first grade game. Like if it had been a Warrington first team game, but because it was reserve grade, it wasn't allowed to count. Um, which again, it's extraordinary. But uh, yeah, Penrith twenty eight eight over Penrith in the playoff, and then nineteen six over Manly in the eliminator, fourteen six over Canberra in the minor semi final, nine two over Cronulla in the prelim. Ellery Hanley scored in all four of those games, the playoff, and then the three semi finals, and then got knocked senseless by Terry Lamb in the grand final as Canterbury won twenty four twelve. So Ellery Henley did not continue with Balmain in 1989. He went back to England and then came back and played for Western Suburbs. Uh, and in quite controversial circumstances, I've got this article here uh, from the City Morning Herald, December 22, 1988. Western Suburbs Rugby League Club did not sign British captain and former Tiger Ellery Hanley. With a deficit of $600,000 on their football club balance sheets, they could never have afforded him. Instead, Hanley was a Christmas present to the club from Jim Masterton, a millionaire builder and sponsor whose company, Masterton Homes, built 2,000 houses last year, two-thirds of them in Sydney's western suburbs. Masterton, 59, looks like comedian Max Gillies doing an impression of Bob Hawke. 
the silvery wavy hair receding slightly at the temples, the peaked eyebrows and worry lines and the broad Australian voice. Such are Masterton's ambitions as a magpie patron. He can see the day when, quote, we can go to Manly and knock off eight of their players like they've done in the past to Wests, end quote. Well, it's, it's, all, it's all ahead of them here. Yeah, well, that's right. That's all to look forward to, Maggie's fans. Uh, Masterton is paying more than Balmain ever dreamed, a package worth 179000 A hopeful scenario. Get, this is quite good. <laughs> this is just economics for you. The hopeful scenario is that when Hanley joins Wests next May, he will generate enough through gate receipts, sponsorships, promotions and merchandising for the club to be able to afford him in 1990 out of its own coffers. <laughs> I, I, newsflash on that one. Yeah. How, how far in debt were they again? Like, 600000 like, Yeah, okay. So that'll take a fair bit to suddenly be able to afford him out of pocket. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. I mean, it's obviously a shame given we know what happens with the Tigers in 89. It might have been handy to have him on board. Yeah. Uh, how'd West go in 89? Uh, I'm glad you asked. They came 13th. 13th. Um, <laughs> he looked real good in the Masterton, though. I've seen a beautiful picture of him in that, and it's really quite uh, special. Like, he looks fantastic. Um, and he played against, I think, uh, he played against Martin Fire, at, oh. who was at East. Yes. And there's a really iconic picture of, like, a fire, because um, they're, they're quite similar looking. Um, and there's, like, and, and there's, like, a fire in the really gorgeous city forward and um and Ellery and the the Masterton sort of like in the same shot walking off the ground and stuff it's very very, uh, like it's a very good photo um and it would be very exciting I would have thought at that time absolutely Um, something that if you know we were a generation earlier we'd have been absolutely thrilled well it could have been even could have been even more exciting uh West's admitted they had also spoken to Hanley's Wigan teammate and English winger Martin O'Fire but would not be signing him Masterton told the Herald that he thought Hanley would suffice I tell you what, if they'd have well, had thirteenth, uh, yeah, yeah, they might come eleventh. Um, they might. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose in Masterton's defence, like when he says suffices, I mean, if you're going to pay him seven and a half a game, you'd probably want to keep it at one. Um, but yeah. it's, it's an odd system. So, like, technically, he's playing for West of his own free will for nothing, but because someone's giving him money, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's well, this that's is really the workaround, the, right? That's this is really the first. This is really the, the, the first ever third-party agreement or an early example of a third-party agreement. Yeah. Um, John Quayle took great umbrage at this and said that uh, this sort of thing would not in- escape the salary cap when it was introduced in 1990 uh, and ruled out any hopes that a giant loophole had already been discovered. Rules of the salary cap that are, any, are that any individual, any association connected with the club is part of that salary cap. So I think what happens here is that Masterton, Pays for him in '89, but actually isn't allowed to pay for him in 1990. Yeah. And Wests rather predictably couldn't afford it out of their own, out yeah. of their own pockets, and so that's it. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It's the the '88. I wonder. There's. I wonder if the the knockout is has got that bit of a Bradman element to the myth. You know, like being mm. you know averaging '99. The fact that they made this wild run to the grand final, and it's not that he didn't win it for them, but it's not that he didn't play well. It's that he was ironed out, allows that to sort of live on that if he'd have played, you, you know what I mean? Like I only need four more runs to get a hundred. It's that if Terry Lamb didn't do this, he was going to have raised them to the premiership is almost more iconic or more to talk about than if he had have actually 
<laughs> led them to the grand final. Do you know what it's I mean? True. Like, it's, it's, it's kind so, of it does it, have a kind of Jeff Jeff Buckley element to it, doesn't it? Uh, Where it's, yeah. you, you, it's kind of yeah, you're right. Um, it's just it's just that thing that that thing that almost happened is that it's they legendary. Almost, from, it's legendary more. for what he might yeah. have done. Like it, yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, not that he didn't have wasn't great. And maybe if he won the grand final, it would have been just as big as that. But it's certainly bigger than it would have been if they just didn't win the grand yeah. final. It, it, the fact that he got ah and they got there and then Ellery they took him out. You know, and they're like you know as a Tigers fan, but quite rightly you would feel that you were completely cheated mm. out of that to have him knocked out of the game and sort of blatantly and intentionally does make you just go. You know that, that that was that robbing, and makes you remember him even more fondly. It just adds a just got that Bradman sort of thing to it. That like, oh, he just needed the four, but mm. he, you know he was LBW, and it's it's got that to it. Um, and it, it does add it certainly adds to the myth one way or the other. Yeah, that's absolutely right. The mythology, and the, and, right? And, and the yeah. mythology is enormous. Yeah. It's um, as we talked about at the top, it's 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 everywhere. Um, mm. I wanted to share one more piece with you, Gazzy, about the Belmont Tigers in nineteen eighty eight. Um. It wouldn't be a Rugby League Cemetery episode without a contribution from the great Roy Masters. Uh, this is from September the 5th, 1988, uh, and the headline is Why Von Ryan's Express Nearly Ran Off the Rails. <laughs> I, I'm reading this purely because of how loose it is. I don't claim to I, – I don't know that it's got any insight. I just had – I found it, and I have to read it to you. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it begins as follows. Von Clausewitz – the great 19th century Prussian military scholar (laughs) wrote in his book on war, defense is the strong form with the negative object and attack is the weak form with the positive object. Balmain coach Warren Ryan's ideas on football approximate those of von Clausewitz on military strategy. Okay. It is sometimes said that Ryan's ultimate victory would be a 1-0 result because that would exalt defence over attack. But every statistic on six-tackle football shows defence-oriented teams will succeed even if the name of the game is scoring points. Von Ryan's Express has now steamed into the grand final after defeating Cronulla yesterday. Um, any thoughts, Gazzy, on that? Yeah, I, my immediate thought is, who is this written for? What's, what, what is the intended target audience that is supposed to understand and digest that? <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Um, People with an interest in the Balmain Tigers and Prussian military generals in the 19th century. Yeah. Just the Venn diagram is really narrow. It's narrow, isn't it? Yeah. It continues through the article. Rather than go up the middle like the British Eighth Army did in Europe, Von Ryan elected <laughs> to go sideways. <laughs> oh, dear God. That's fantastic. Wave it's... after wave of black and gold artillery went to Ross Conlon's wing. It's uh, it's one of my one of my favourite things is it Rory Masters is that um, when the walk was coaching the Knights, uh, they came to an actual like they came, had to be separated from punching on him and Masters in the tunnel because like I think he even whacked his glasses off his head or something and they had to be full, physically pulled apart because the walk went at him about an article he'd written that he didn't like when the walk was coaching West. And we need yeah, to keep good. in mind that he coached the Knights in 1998 and hadn't coached West for like about what three. Four, four seasons, years, yeah. four years at this point. So, like, he's having not seen him since he sort of stopped coaching, has like accosted him in the change rooms about a four-year-old article in the shed, and they had to be pulled apart, like down the dressing tunnel, yeah. <laughs> punching it's, on. Sorry, it's, <laughs> just, it's just they just they just appreciate going in the right way. Yeah, um, yeah. I may, I failed to mention earlier that the walk actually had a regular column at this point uh, in 1988, and after the Greg McCallum thing. 
wrote this furious article about the about how about manly bias in the media and how it was very admirable loyalty from Rex Mossop that he didn't think all these decisions were wrong um, when they went Manly's way. But yes, uh, I just I don't know who the Venn diagram is for Prussian military strategy and rugby league, but uh, we are indebted to Roy Masters for bringing those two on the surface apparently disparate concepts together. Uh, is there anything to add after that? No, I don't think so. I would encourage you all to go and watch that if you are like Mark Geyer and Blocker Roach and Benny Elias and Gary Jack and Brandy, etc. You need Ellery Hanley, you need to watch yeah. it. And if you don't like those people, um, I don't think you should be listening to this podcast. No, if you've got this or... far without being yes. interested in any of them, yeah. then uh, you've, you've, you've got your, your Spotify stuck on sleep mode. Okay, uh, we'll... 24 hours in a day, spend one of them watching that. Yeah. You won't we'll put it. it we'll put it up on the page through the week. It is a magnificent spectacle uh, and it's been a treat to talk about it uh, for your listening pleasure or otherwise. Thank you, Gazzy. Always a pleasure. Until next time, we sign off from the Rugby League Cemetery.